natural study in particular, you need to have an affinity with it. You need to, it's almost a romantic thing. You need to, you, you need to love it. I, I love it when someone comes in and puts their hands on it. They're like, I, I need to, like, I feel, I need to feel it. Hi, I'm Beth Beeske, the founder of More Time to Design and your host of the Design Dialogues podcast. I've been a designer for the last 12 years and I've run my own studio for five. And I know how hard it is to run a successful business. You not only need to be great at designing, but you need to be great at all the other things as well. I created More Time to Design, a software platform to help designers run efficient studios. And I've created the Design Dialogue podcast to help us all learn together. Each week, we will meet professionals who are at the top of their game doing things that help us run our studios. We'll have conversations with social media managers, interior design mentors, copywriters, stylists, photographers, suppliers, and also designers who have been in the game for a long time and who have such a wealth of knowledge to share. I hope that each week you feel inspired and informed at the end of each of our design dialogues. So join me for the Design Dialogue podcast. Welcome to episode 29 of the Design Dialogues podcast. This week, I am chatting with Vito Marzullo from Anterior XL about all things natural stone and porcelain slabs. What Vito doesn't know about stone and porcelain is not worth knowing. This episode was recorded prior to the announcement of engineered stone being banned and we reflect on the challenges the industry is facing because of the dominance of engineered stone over the last decade. Vito has a really interesting perspective on engineered stone from someone who has observed the impacts over time and like all things, it is not black and white. This dialogue gets a little bit technical in parts, but it was so interesting to hear from Vito about what as designers we should be thinking about when we are designing and specifying natural stone and porcelain slabs. I hope you enjoy my dialogue with Vito. Would you like to do things a little differently in 2024? Have your business organized and streamlined and feel like you are in control of your business not that it is in control of you. I would love for you to take the time to book in a demonstration or start a trial of more time to design. MTTD is a cloud-based studio and project management platform that allows you to run all the elements of your design business in one place. Time tracking, calendar management, to-do lists, client schedules, QR codes for all your builder schedules. Keep track of your inquiries and lead management. Keep track of the financials of each project so that you know you are always making money and so much more. Follow the link in our show notes to start your free 30-day trial or book in a demonstration so the team can show you how you can organize your day, your desk and your studio with more time to design today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Design Dialogues. I am joined by Vito Mazzullo, Mazzullo <laughs> from Anterior XL today. Hi, Vito. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Beth? Good, good, good. So I like to start each of my dialogues with finding out what can you see out your window today? I'm very lucky. I'm up on the first floor, and I my view is of... Um, these gorgeous trees, I mean, they look like maple trees, I don't know what they are, but they're fully <laughs> matured. Yeah. And uh, spring is great because it's really, really, really green, full of pollen, but very yep. green. Yeah. Oh, beautiful, gorgeous. beautiful. Yep. Um, now, I first met you, Vito, at a presentation in your showroom and I walked away knowing that what you didn't know about stone was not worth knowing. So can you tell us a little bit about your business and how you've got to where you are today. I started this business in 2020. As a matter of fact, the 31st of January, 2022 weeks before COVID became COVID. So uh, it was a, a very interesting transition. I, I had another business together with um, a business partner that was called Living Tiles. And we, we focused on a lot of retail residential as well as commercial specification through architects and designers. And through a series of events and after 17 years, I decided that um, 
I wanted to branch out and specialize and get away from the worlds of solely tiles and focus on uh, slabs, yeah. whether they be porcelain or natural stone or terrazzo. Um, but I, I really wanted to find uh, a, a hole in the market where uh, I believe today that the consumer is um, better uh, educated in mm -hmm. terms of materials and uh, are looking for a space that offer the, the quality and service that, that we provide. So although we've sort of stepped back from the large-scale T1 commercial projects, we're more entered into that space where the designers and architects live and, and create, you know, people's dreams, whether it be for their home or for their commercial space or, or what have you. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I dreamt up Anterior Excel. <laughs> uh, a lot of people ask about the name. Yeah. Uh, the name came about because Anterior means forward so forward facing um so i like to think that we we would like to be at the front of design the front of technology and the front of your mind and excel because in a large way well look i mean anterior is a latin word that you can't trademark so we had to have uh, something else with it and yeah. excel is just one of those things that we we love it to be large i love that i really do yeah. love that um, and so tell me a little bit about, so you obviously sell quite a few different things, um, but yeah. natural stone is one of your big things. Can That's you tell me a little bit about the process of selecting slabs, bringing slabs in? How does that all work? Interesting question. Um, I, I'm a little bit odd. I don't buy what the market requests. Mm -hmm. um, I I travel to to Italy and to the quarries and and, and to the places that offer all the alternative materials um, three or four times a year, and I buy what I like. Yeah. So if I can see this stone being used, if I, my my defining criteria first and foremost is would I use it somewhere? Would I have a use for it? Yeah. If the answer is yes, I buy it. Um, I think natural stone in particular, you need to have an affinity with it. You need to, it's almost a romantic thing. You need to, you, you need to love it. I, I love it when someone comes in and puts their hands on it. They're like, I, I need to, like, I feel, I need to feel it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so my selection process is first and foremost, is it something I would use? Can I see other people using it as well? And then you start looking at, okay, you know, from a size point of view and the quality and, and, and there's a lot of selection criteria that we go through to make sure that not only do we have a color cutter, but the color cutter that we have has the, you know, we look for balance. We always try and think, okay, how is this going to be used? Um, if it's going to be used for a kitchen top, you know, it's only 800 wide. So you should make sure that every 800, there's a point of interest. Otherwise, if you've got a big blank spot, then it's not good. But if it's something for a major feature wall, you don't want it to be too busy. So there, there's a lot behind it. And look, you learn every day. Um, yeah. There's new stuff coming out all the time. So, yeah, but basically it's it's what I fall in love with I buy. Yeah, perfect. And so um, <clears throat> the slabs, um, you know, the, you select all that in Italy yep. um, and then it comes out here. Does it get processed here or offshore or...? No, everything. So the block, the majority of the material we have is Italian of origin. Mm -hmm. um, so particularly the whites of Carrara, which, you know, the color cutters, arabescatos, blah, 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 you know, forever. Um, they're quarried in Italy and, as, as a, and the block goes to a block cutter mm -hmm. and it gets processed and polished or honed, whatever, leathered, um, and we bring it in like that. Other materials such as um, quartzites, the majority of quartzites are coming out of Brazil. I tend to buy them in Italy as well. So the blocks arrive in Italy as a block. They then get um, cut, which is the, the process of cutting in Italy is probably still the best in the world. Um, and, and the way they're able to process it and make sure there's no flaws and identify where the flaws are and, and sell it on that basis. It's also, there are places in Italy such as Antolini that are like a lolly shop for a kid because it takes you six hours to walk through and 
instead of going to the 500 quarries, they have, a, you know, they've bought the blocks from every single quarry. So you go there and you, you see all the materials from various parts of the world and buy them there. And you don't need to buy the whole 80 slabs. You yeah. can just buy 10 if you want. You know what I mean? Wow. So, yes, everything is processed in Italy that we do, yes. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like a very fun job to go marble shopping <laughs> stone shopping. It's arborous. It, it takes time, <laughs> but it's there are worse things, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you tell me a little bit about what are some things that a designer should be thinking about when they're thinking of selecting a slab um, or some stone for a project, so some natural stone? So, you know, obviously there is, there's more than just it looks pretty. Yeah. Um, what are some of those things that designers should be thinking about? I, I think the client first and foremost needs to know, that the architect designer needs to know their client. Mm. Um, that's really, really important because... Natural stone is absolutely beautiful, but it is filled with flaws. So, you know, you may have some pieces that inherently have some cracks in them. Now, those cracks have been resined and, and uh, repaired in Italy, and they're fine. But if your client is going to be super pedantic about things like that, you need to know to steer them away from that typology of material. Um, it's also setting the expectations of the client as to the performance of it. Um, one, of, one of the things I say to everybody is that natural stone ages. Okay, so it's not something that's static like a porcelain or to a lesser extent engineered stone that you put it in there today and in 10 years' time it's going to look the same because it's not. It's weathered. I mean, what a, one of, when you walk through Europe and whether it be, I always pick out Italy, for instance, and you see the Colosseum or the Pantheon, have you ever seen it clean? Yeah. Or has it got a little bit of black and dirtiness and is the edge a little bit chipped and stuff? The answer is yes, but isn't that almost part of the romance of the whole thing? Yeah. So you need to understand that that's what your um, stone finish is going to be doing. So that's the real primary focus. It's accepting that stone will age with your family. Mm. You know what I mean? It will scratch. It's the first scratch that hurts. <laughs> it's the first stain. Um, but you, you can be clever and you can use a quartzite as opposed to a, a calcium-based material like a marble on a bench top because, you know, you're going to have uh, lemon drops on there or the, the most common question is, what about my red wine? My answer is always, why are you spilling the wine? Yeah. <laughs> um, lick it off. I mean, you know, like you should never spill wine. But um, ultimately, you can seal it. The sealer will give you a little bit of added protection. But ultimately, the bench top will age. Yeah. Period. If it's not for you, choose an alternative material. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, it really does come back to the designer or the architect educating their client because yep. it is it's a living finish and that is part yep. of the beauty of it so you right. know with that comes some you know not challenges but different things in terms of being clever around um you know because obviously with stone you bite by the slab and you, yep. you get a whole slab what are some of the things that you've seen designers do where you've gone, that's really clever, so they are maximising the value they are getting out of their slabs? Um, we, it's a shame when, when a client, you know, needs one and a quarter slabs because, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's that whole half a slab that is uh, not used. So we always suggest to to implement that through other places of the house, whether it be if it's big enough to do a dining table. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of other places in the house, so such as when you walk into a home, uh, there could be a little ledge where you leave your keys. Yeah. Right? And that's typically just left as plasterboard or, or render or what have you. You know, you can use it as a strip there, but what's better than maybe doing a coffee table or, you know, perhaps bedside tables? Because bedside tables... You know, I have a look at mine, which are a timber veneer, and they're all damaged and scratched. And I don't know how it's the bedroom, but they, you know, yeah. you put a glass on it and stuff. So anywhere where there's a hard surface is definitely um, recommended to use it there or as, or as a vanity. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, we, you know, artwork is another very, very, very interesting use. Mm. We, we brought in a block of travertine, which for all intensive purposes was throwaway stuff yeah. because it had that many holes and it, it looked like blue vein cheese. Yeah, yeah. And what a, a couple of designers have done is basically put a backing on it and hung it on the wall. Yeah, it's wow. artwork. It's yeah. created by Mother Nature. It's it's taken millions of years to create. I mean, what's better than that? Yeah, wow. That's so awesome. So that, that's probably the cleverest use I've seen, used of material that typically wouldn't be used, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, and so in the news at the moment, you know, as we're recording this, um, yeah. there is a lot of talk about um engineered stone, uh, engineered stone, silica um, and silicosis and all of that kind of stuff. And I think there's a fair bit of misinformation in that media at the moment around silica levels in natural stone and if there is a safe level of silica coming out of engineered stone. What are some of the, I suppose, objections? Like we obviously hear kind of, quite the similar objections from clients around using um, natural stone. They want to stay with engineered stone because they think it's yeah. more hard or it's, you know, stain resistant and all that kind of stuff. But we're getting to the point where engineered stone is actually not going to be an option really. Yeah. What are some of the things that you kind of could help designers use so they can come back to their clients and say, actually, no, that's not correct. Or no, like the silica levels in natural stone are much lower and the the granules are larger, I think, from my understanding. So I think the most important thing, first and foremost, is for everyone to sort of um, take a step back. And once their bench top is in, so if they've got an engineered stone top stop, irrespective of the brand, mm. once it's in, it's fine. Yeah. It's not going to cause any issue to the consumer, right? But the issue has been to the fabricator. Um now, in regards to the, the quartzite silica, it's respirable um, quartzite silica. So basically the dust that is done during the cutting process. Now, the shame is that even with all the engineered stones, if it's cut in the correct method, so if, if you have a stonemason that has all the modern equipment and it's all water cut and everything and controls the dust and they have their PPE, there is actually no problem with engineered stone. I mean, yeah. I don't sell engineered stone, so I've got no benefit in, in saying that. Yeah. There is actually no issue with engineered stone if it's processed in the right way. Yeah. But the problem is that in the past, you go to a lot of these factories and they're just caked in dust. Yeah. I mean, engineered stone is a really easy material to cut. So you would be cutting, you know, probably six kitchens a day in engineered stone because it's so quick. Yeah. And therefore inhaling a lot more even if it's there compared to a quartzite for argument's sake but you could only probably cut two in a day so just from a volume point of view there's there's a loss a lot less cutting but it's really important to note that the, the issue lays that the stonemasons really need to take the right precautions in cutting the material irrespective of what it is you cannot ban um, anything, uh, every material with uh, quartzite silica because it means you will no longer have cement sheeting, fibro, you won't have um, a lot of natural stones, you won't have porcelains, tiles will not be allowed. It, it's not um, that straightforward. Yeah. I, I think what the thing, like, so one of your questions, marble, for argument's sake, calcium-based marbles have 0% quartzite silica. Mm. Absolutely none. As do, from my understanding, you know, limestone travertines and, and dolomites, or very, very little, less than 5%. Um, quartzites, though, such as Taj Mahal, which is probably the most commonly known one, is made up of 96% quartzite quartz. Okay. But the, the I was reading a report because we have had ours tested. Um, and it says quartz is a hard crystalline mineral made of silica. For crystalline silica to become respirable, it must be distributed in such a fashion that a fine dust particle size of less than 10 UM is formed in the atmosphere. Now, I've never tested an engineered stone to know what it's like, but 
clearly that's where there might be an issue and that's why the uh, safe work is all over it and everything that's in the news. Um, from my understanding, the testing of the quartz sites is that it's the particle size is too large to be respirable. Now, I'm yeah. not an expert and I'm not going to say that's correct or not correct. Yeah. All, all I know is that there seems to be a very, very big issue with the engineered stone in terms of, you know, the, the breathing it in. And nobody wants to be, I suppose the biggest thing is what we've had come through is the end consumer saying, I'm scared and I don't want to be responsible to adding to the potential illness of, of a fabricator. Yeah. So just steer me towards the products that don't have it. Mm. Okay, and, and then we go into our marbles and, and what have you. Mm. Um, but it, it's important to note that if it's cut safely, it's actually fine. Yeah. And it's that, fine. They have different performance levels, though, post-installation. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really important as designers um, because we act as part of our job is to act for, as kind of advocates for the clients and helping them make really educated decisions. Um, and, you know, as we're recording this, we're kind of, I suppose, in this middle land where they haven't made a decision what they're going to do with engineered stone. But I think one of the, as you said, like it's, it is actually a safe product, but it's the way it's fabricated. Um, and I think that's one of the things that as designers, it's really important we're asking our builders or our stonemason, whoever it is that kind of is putting us, who is engaging the fabricator, we're asking the right questions to say, do they have the right equipment? Do they cut it properly? Like really kind of advocating and making sure that like it's the thing that we can do and say, well, we don't want someone who's not doing the right thing on our projects. So please find someone else. I think something else that I think, you know, I've seen it on site. I'm sure many designers have seen it on site where they'll quickly make an adjustment or, and it's like, I think as designers, it's our responsibility to say, no, take it back. It might cause delays. It might do all of these things. It might make the client might be annoyed, but if we're educating our clients properly, they'll understand that, no, just even that quick little cut, that's not right. Um, so I think as a whole industry, we have real responsibilities to kind of make sure the right thing is being done. I mean, I think that banning the material altogether is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, mm. I, I understand that a, a few of the brands have come out with a lower silica content um, material. Yeah. Um, once again, I'm not a scientist to know how good or bad that they are. But I think what we should really be looking at is perhaps almost licensing fabricators and stonemasons yeah. and having work cover giving them, you know, back in the day there used to be the builders used to have the gold licence or the gold card yeah. and, and almost bringing in a, a form of thing to say, well, these guys here um, have been checked, they do the right things, there are spot checks that come out and what have you um, and, you know, they can cut the low silica options and they can and, and do everything else and that would make it easier for the consumer and the designer. Mm, you know, yeah, if exactly. there was that sort of selection process. Because the guys who are cutting caked in dust, I'm sure they don't want to go home. I, I mean, I'm sure that they're coughing it out every night oh, I mean, yeah. if you see it. But it's probably a, a cost-driven thing, right? Yeah. That they really need, they don't have time to stop and, and change their masks. They don't have time to do all these things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think it is such a, I kind of agree with you, I think, banning one product when as you said the silica is found in multiple building products oh yeah you know like if you were to walk on a building site there would be so many things that Absolutely. you know you could be and a lot of them aren't cut you know in isolation and with the right pp and all that kind of stuff um so it does in a way feel like a bit of a knee jerk but then as well it's kind of like well yeah are they exploring other options do we have other options and i suppose it's well it's like where does the responsibility sit for the, making sure that the people are doing the right thing? And it does feel like it should be a much more regulated industry. Um, you, you know, porcelain is, is eating into the market of the engineered stone, mm -hmm. but also naturally, even before, you know, uh, I think 60 Minutes brought up the, uh, mm -hmm. the you know, to the, to the forefront of the consumer about mm -hmm. six months ago. 
But even before then, porcelain has been creeping in the last three or four years because you know, everything is a bit of a cycle as well. Yeah. And, you know, engineered stone has come out probably took full force in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. Yeah. And that, that's more than 20 years. That's actually a really good run yeah. for a singular type of product. And, yeah. and when you see the technology of, of the porcelains and how they look, yeah. you know, the, the realness of them from a texture point of view, from a, uh, you know, a resolution point of view, it, it's almost being phased out anyway. So a designer needs to look at, you know, first and foremost, budget, what can you, what can you afford, what can you buy, um, and then look at the client and their requirements and their usability. Um, and, and a lot of the time what we find is, I mean, these days it seems everyone's building a butler's pantry. Everyone's got their, you know, laundry slash kitchen where they do the real work and then yeah. the show part. Yeah. So what I found, uh, I won't say strange, but what I found uh, welcoming for me was that rather than going to porcelain, they've gone to natural stone. Yeah. And they've got their, you know, absolutely gorgeous stone bench top. And then in the pantry, they've always got either a engineered stone or a porcelain. Mm. Because they know that that's where, you know, that's where they're going to drop the turmeric or that's where they're going to do, you know, the, the things that will you know, yeah. most likely affect it. Yeah. So it, you can use hybrid. Yeah, and I think as well, like, I mean, and this is a whole other discussion and I know there's people who feel very passionately about it, but it's, it's I think, something that we will see a lot in our industry over the next, you know, 10 years or so is a real reflection on the size and style of house that we've built and you know building a massive house that we then we have to turn to a perceived cheaper product like an engineered stone because we've got you know kitchens and butler's pantries and it's like do you really mm. need all that space where if you built it smaller you know and really thought about the space that you need, then you would possibly be able to afford, you need less of the product so you can afford a better quality product, a natural product, all of that kind of stuff. So I do, I think it is a reckoning that's kind of slowly starting yeah. to happen in the industry. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a really good thing that's needed because I think sometimes, you know, I think size sometimes is. You no, know, it's also a matter of shopping it around. So the last 20 years have been engineered stone and a lot of stonemasons actually don't know how to cut marble anymore. Mm. You know, when I'm saying they don't know how to, everyone knows how to cut it, but you need to be able to identify and say, okay, there's a, you know, there's a hairline crack, there's a fissure in the material. So you don't put a cut right through it because it's going to break at that point, right? Yeah. A lot of these guys just think, well, you know, when you buy an engineered stone or a porcelain for argument's sake, you can cut it anyway. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Whereas you really need to understand the stone you're working with and and cut around it. So a lot of the guys that are scared are putting their prices up and making it unaffordable. Mm -hmm. To the same extent, a lot of stonemasons, if you go out to tender today to have your kitchen done, I will guarantee you it would be 20 to 30% more expensive than February. Yeah. Purely because they're busy and they're putting their prices up. So it's a matter of shopping it around, finding the person that's most comfortable with that particular material. Yeah. And you'll be able to come into it. It, it then comes down to the material itself only probably represents a third of the final cost of the installation. Yeah. Because by rule of thumb, it's like a third material, a third manufacturing, a third installation. And you might be looking at a kitchen is going to cost you $12,000 in um natural stone and 10,000 in an engineered stone. Now, $2,000 is a lot of money, but in the scheme of things, uh, it's, you know, if you've got three kids, it's two years of the Easter show. Yeah. No? <laughs> um, so it's one of those things that you, you've got to, I, I think that from what I was always taught, bathrooms, kitchens, sell the house. Yeah. So the value is there. When someone sees you put in a quality product, it's recognized. You know what I mean? And we should always build it for ourselves, not to sell. Yeah. But ultimately, you also want it to be, you know, um, resellable as well. Yeah. Um, and that's a really interesting point that you just bring up. And um, one of my previous guests um, 
Gemma from Studio Gemma talks about this as well, um, about designers being educated in what they're actually designing and the cost implications of things. Um, and, you know, I think something that quite often designers don't fully appreciate is that, as you said, the cost is, you know, supply of the actual product is only a part of it, the actual fabrication. What are some of the, what are some of the, tricked up designer things that you've seen people do that are like oh my goodness you've just blown the budget on something totally unnecessary and what are some of those things that people should think about when they're thinking about the design because it's always much easier like the worst thing in the world is if you have to kind of descale your design and you know undesign things the clients by now fallen in love with it and you've got a cranky client what are some of the things that interior designers should keep in mind when they're actually designing the stone uh, everyone loves a detailed kitchen, like so, or, or you know whatever you're doing, like highly detailed is phenomenal in the look. And and today the the go seems to be everything is round. Yeah. You know, particularly when you're doing a a um, a waterfall edge and you you're bringing it around the front and you're making that round. Stone is is flat. Yeah. In in order to make that round is extremely expensive from a manufacturing point of view. And then you've got to look at your material selection. So if you've gone for a softer material like a, a white marble, you know, it, it can be rounded easier yeah. than a quartzite. Quartzites yeah. are extremely hard. And I had a, a, a client just recently that just to the manufacturing of the waterfall that rounded to the front was $15,000 just in labour. That is insane. Yeah. Now, you know, you can always, there are ways that you can trick that up to make it less expensive by, you know, doing the waterfall still in your natural stone, but the round parts, perhaps use a veneer. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're really going to do it, everyone's doing, you know, the, the bevels at the moment. So, you know, those half round things. But the trick there as well is that when everyone thinks that, um, you know, you're going to have the bevel that goes all the way around and, and it doesn't vein match. Yeah. So if you want it to vein match, it's going to cost you a lot more, probably double, mm. because the amount of material that you'll go through is insane, mm. or, or the amount of repairs that you need to do, like you probably need to put a stainless rod behind every one to keep it together, because you're looking at a profile that's anywhere from 25 to 50 mil in width, yeah. and it can only be 20 mil in depth, maximum 30. Um, so... The amount of work that's there is is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just use timber or <laughs> timber veneer, I should say, or change the design. Yeah, up a little. Yeah, and <laughs> I think that's something that um and oh my goodness, this is such a common thread that goes through all of these conversations I have with people. It ultimately comes down to the relationships that you have with people like yourself, your builders, your fabricators, so that before the client has even seen the design you are aware of the cost implications of that beautiful island that you've just designed or, you know, whatever the detail is. And if you are having those conversations early on in the piece, someone like yourself or the fabricator is going to go, no way, like don't even go there. Or And so you, you're just, the client never sees it, never falls in love with it, and it's just a better process kind of thing. And so I think that's where designers need to be more educated but also how important those relationships are that you have with suppliers, fabricators, builders, and yeah. all that kind of set stuff. Set the expectation. Yeah. I mean, set the expectation. I mean, we we often have people coming in here, um, their DA hasn't even got in yet. Mm. And, and they want to get their head around materials and what the costs are and how they look and and what you can, um, how you can use it. And it's always the, we can see when a designer is much clearer because they are bringing them in way, way, way before. And, yeah. and the client is also uh, clearer because they've engaged the designer at such a stage that it's still not even DA. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. they're bringing them in and they're sort of saying, look, let, let's workshop it. Let's go through some ideas and yeah. get an understanding. And if you're going to sit back and say, well, I really love this material, but it's going to cost me $60,000 just for the material and then manufacturing. How about we scale it back? Yeah. You know, like, like you said, maybe we don't do the grand 10 metre by 10 metre kitchen. Yeah. And we sort of, 
scale it down or we'll just be a little bit smarter sure. about you know yeah um because costs will blow up very quickly yeah 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 so I, yeah I think that's such an important thing for designers to really embrace and kind of as you said like the earlier you start talking about this overall the better um the project runs the other thing that I would love to pick your brain about and you've mentioned it a few times is porcelain and porcelain slabs and this feels like you know the new frontier in a way for a lot of designers I also think there is a lot of misinformation about absolutely the expense you know they're expensive to install people won't like stone uh, fabricators won't touch them they're so fragile all of this kind of stuff you can't do this with them you can't do that I would love to kind of yeah tell us about porcelain stuff because I know you sell them as well you've been around them for a while can you kind of bust a lot of those? So I, I've actually been doing porcelain slabs in Sydney since 2008. Yeah. So it's actually 15 years. I, I was one of the very, very first. There was one, only one other at the time. Um, and we used it because, you know, trying to get somebody to, to use a new product is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Consider that back in 2008, a 450 by 450 tile was considered um, big. Yeah. 600 by 600 was insane. Huge. And we, our product was one metre by three metres yeah. and only three millimetres thick. And, yeah. and it, it can actually bend to like to a five metre radius. Mm. And it's hard to get, you know, the head around it. So we use this commercially through larger architectural firms that are always looking to... Um, new technologies and what have you and uh, what what a lot of people don't understand about the large format porcelains is that they've probably been walking on them touching them for the last 15 years without knowing it yeah i mean for instance i did sydney university business school there was over fifteen thousand square meters and it finished in 2015. yeah we're talking about an area that is highly used in skateboards and scissor lifts on the floor on the walls and it's a great 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 material to use because it's scratch resistant it's you know heat resistant it, you know graffiti resistant and, and every particular thing that you can think of other than a hammer it's grateful yeah it, it's so, pretty it's pretty indestructible well we we i mean an, another area where a lot of people haven't been as game is we clad the outside of buildings mm. So we've done several facades, but also facades of homes. Yeah. So if, you know, today a lot of people are choosing to use uh, non-traditional material, so they won't use a brick or um, or they're using a hebel, they're using uh, Dincel or, you know, FS, whatever they, that yeah. system is. We actually can clad the outside of that on a rail yeah. and you just put the porcelain on the outside of the house. And it never needs to be painted. If a bird poops on it, you just wash it off. Yeah. It never needs any maintenance whatsoever. So if you're right on the water, we did a house in Kuji, right literally waterfront, never had any issues, ran leak. Um, it, it doesn't matter where it is. As a matter of fact, you can use porcelain sheets inside a swimming pool. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it doesn't really matter. The versatility is um, insane. Now, if you've got installation crews that are not, capable of installing it they're not confident change the installation crew yeah get a price from someone who does yeah. we always refer two or three different guys that um do this for a living all day every day mm. the only ramification i suppose comes to this cost yeah it clearly is double the price of installing a 600 by 1200 top yeah it, it is double but to me it has three times the effect yeah 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 so, you know, one of the other things that I say to a lot of people is, okay, you're building a home and let's say if it's, you know, even all the way up to Parramatta, you're not paying less than 2 or $3 million these days, mm. right? If you start talking from, you know, the Iron Cove Bridge towards the eastern suburbs, I mean, you probably buy an apartment for that price. I'm not sure. <laughs> so when you're when you're selling a home and you're, you're getting that sort of money and above, mm. I think the house deserves a better finish. Yeah. And, and it needs the investment of showing that you care and that you've done something that, that warrants that price tag. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the difference between a $500,000 home 
and a $5 million home if you're both using the 600 by 600 porcelain tile on the floor. Or God forbid, a 300 by 300. <laughs> Try and find one. <laughs> They've become more expensive than 600 by 600. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so, you know, what is the differentiating factor? Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. haven't gone to natural stone and you're still using a porcelain, I mean, these days the technology that's coming out of China is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I must yeah. say, you know, it's not my favourite um, place to get product from, but it's it's decent and it's really and, hard to tell the difference. Yeah, well, it is, it is. And what are some of the things, so, you know, people are, start, you know, like bench tops and splashbacks and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things that people quite often say is, well, you can't do some of the edging and you can't, you know, do all of that kind of stuff. What what should people be thinking about if they're thinking about using porcelain for bench tops? So everything has its limitations. Yeah. Clearly you cannot do a, um, a rounded waterfall. Um, there's no real limitation that we have found. Yeah. I mean, once again, take into consideration the design overall, Um but if you want to, you, you came in and you saw my, the bench top we have in the showroom. Yeah. We've done four different edge finishes there to show people of what you can actually do. Yeah. Um, and we've purposely mismatched the veins as well. Yeah. And nobody's ever noticed until I pointed out. Yeah. They, you realise that, you know, the waterfall doesn't match and you realise that one is going vertical and one's going horizontal. Mm. Um, because the overall design is actually, uh, it's nice. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't see there being many limitations other than they need the right, the, the cabinet maker needs to do the proper surface preparation underneath it, needs to have the correct supports. Mm -hmm. You need to ensure that if there's any overhangs that they, they're catered to. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the thing that you really want to, um, let's say, take into consideration is the edge finish. I think that's quite, quite important. Um, in terms of whether you're going, if you're just going to do a standard pencil round and you've got a real heavy uh, design on the top, then you're just going to see what we call the biscuit, which is just the the, the body of the material. Yeah. Um, that could put people some off that you don't see the vein flow through. Yeah. But there are ways to to um, address that situation as well. And is that because um, in some porcelain products, the the vein detail it's it's i suppose for want of a better word it's a pattern on top it's not all the way through Correct. the product Correct. absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely it, the, the products are produced using dry glaze digital technology so it basically means that prior to the firing process uh there is a print put on with inorganic material so it doesn't burn during the uh the firing process yeah and it embeds itself. It becomes what we call homogeneous into the body of the material. So it becomes as part of one. Mm. But the base colour of the material, generally speaking, is uh, a reflection of the top. So if it's a Carrara, the, the body will be white. If it's an Aero Marquina, the body will be black. Yeah. Um, but, you know, don't forget, the product's only 12 mil thick. Mm. You actually don't see a lot of that. And, and once again, we've addressed that in the showroom to yeah. show people what it actually does look like. But most people end up opting for what we call a mitered apron edge. So yeah. it's a sort of a, a 35, 40 millimetre turn down. Yeah. And this is kind of just a nerdy technical question, but for like an island overhang, yep. um, is it similar to like with a stone where you've kind of got like 300 mil is kind yeah. of your tolerance? Is it yeah. similar with that or do you need to have more support in your substrate? No, no, 300 millimetres. Yeah. Um, some brands will do up to 350. But look, once again, you know, you can address these these um, situations for people that are, you know, I've got three kids, they're boys, the teenagers will be jumping off the, the edge there and what have you. So the cabinet maker can actually put a plate down underneath it, you know, whether it be like a three mil steel plate or even a, you know, a bit of board that goes underneath the whole thing. And then you have a full substrate and you don't have that issue whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, the additional cost of that is quite minor mm. as opposed to having to replace a kitchen bench top if you've got, you know, three kids who want to jump Most off. Just teenagers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I, I can imagine it happening. I have a boisterous boy myself, so. <laughs> Um, And so I suppose once again, like circling back to what we just talked about, that comes down to knowing your client, knowing your product, having that good communication with your suppliers and your builders so that, you know, you're able to address those concerns from the client really easily and kind of go, yep, we can deal with that. We can deal with that. So, you know, if they are unsure about this relatively new product, um, well, not that it's that new, but, you know, I think it is relatively new to consumers yeah, in this yeah. regard. Um, you're able to address those concerns early on and kind of get them on board. So, you know, they are willing to kind of go down this path where before they might not have been. Well, I think it goes for all materials. Understand the limitations of that material and work within that. Mm, mm. Uh, and work with the, don't don't guess it, work with the professionals who are selling that material, you know, express what you want to do and you'll come up with a um, design that will work. I mean, one of one of our, our best projects ever was the, we did, we clad the external facade of the ICC at Darling Harbour in Colesville. And it's only because the, the principal architect at Hassel at the time had a can-do approach. Yeah. So the constructor, which is Australia's largest builder, was always very conservative and didn't want to do it. And every obstacle that came up was a matter of let's workshop it. You know, there, there may be a slight design change, but overall, aesthetically, it ends up being great. So yeah. it, it's a matter of everyone understanding the limitations of the material and yeah. coming up with a solution that will work. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes that means you need time. Sometimes it means you need additional money. But yeah. with both, you get whatever you want. Yeah, and I think, you know, in essence it's really work with the product not against it so you know yeah. you know yeah. don't try and put a curved thing on something that's never going to happen exactly right. exactly <laughs> right. um so tell me what are you looking forward to in your business for the next 12 months um because we're only three years young yeah. i really want to start seeing a lot of the projects that we've you know been in that development phase for the last two years completing like we're getting starting to get some photos through of some beautiful projects that we've done you know residences with you know statuarios that i fall in love with every single block of stone that's here has a story behind it um (laughs) because i personally selected i've got everything has something behind it right Yeah, yeah and seeing those projects now coming through because consider that, you know, when I bought the Statuario in 2021, yeah. by the time it got here, the client selected it, it's been cut, it's been installed. It's a two-year process. Yeah. So yeah I really yeah. look forward to seeing the result of a lot of the, the mm. work from the last two years. Yeah. But then also, you know, we, we, we're becoming better established. People are getting to know us um, for who we are and, and what we offer. Yeah. Just seeing more smiling faces coming back. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That is very cool. And so how can our community find you, reach out to you, find out more about your beautiful products? Uh, we're, we're here in Alexandria. I mean, I'm sure you'll put the web links up. Yeah, and, yeah we will. We'll put all of the web links on the um, show notes and Instagram yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So We, we try and work by appointment. Um, it's not that we're not open to the public, but working by appointment, you can uh, guarantee yourself that the person, your your relationship person will be there. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, because we have an operating overhead crane as well, uh, if we've got something uh, major happening in a two-hour block, we'll just say, you you know, you can come in that two-hour block, but we won't be able to help you, like we won't be able to pull slabs out for you to see them. Yeah. Purely sure. because it's, it's whatever. So, yeah. yes, that's we're here in Alexandria. Uh, Everything's awesome. in Alexandria. So yeah. you don't look at little samples, you don't look at swabs, you don't look at pictures. We've actually got the stock on premises. Yeah, I can attest to that. It's a beautiful um, experience going out there and you'll just, your mind will be blown and you'll be very inspired. So, um, yeah, it's definitely worth a visit. Thank you so much, Vito. I have loved our chat. Thank you. Thanks for your time. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Vito. I definitely learned so much. A couple of things that really stood out to me was how important the relationship that you have with your stone supplier and stonemason are. Bringing them early on in the project can make all the difference. This really is a thread that runs through so many of my dialogues. 
the importance of the relationship that you have with suppliers, builders, consultants, and how it can really impact the success of your projects and business. I also loved hearing from Vito about everything you can do with porcelain slabs. I know in my own projects, there are some hesitance from clients to go ahead with the porcelain slabs as an alternative to engineered stone. So I know the more we educate ourselves as designers can only help clients see the benefits of porcelain. If you are interested in learning more about the technical side of joinery and stone specification, I encourage you to go and listen to episode three with Gemma Gillett from Studio Gemma, where we discuss this in more detail. And if you are in Sydney, make sure to reach out to Vito and the team at Anterior Excel. They are all so helpful and their knowledge is amazing. And the showroom in Alexandria is just wonderful. And it's a really great resource to show your clients the, the stone. I hope you enjoyed this dialogue with Vito and I will see you next week for our next design dialogue. Want to simplify the way you run your design studio? Learn how to organise your day, your desk and your studio with more time to design. A cloud-based studio and project management platform built by an interior designer for interior designers. Make sure to book in a demonstration or start your free 30-day trial today. Follow the links in our show notes or head over to the More Time to Design website. Thank you for listening to this Design Dialogue. I hope you have found it full of inspiration and helpful information to take into your design studio. If you like the podcast and want to hear more, consider sharing it or writing a review as it helps us reach more people and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to unlock the power of effortless studio management and elevate your design business to new heights, Please follow the links in our show notes to see how more time to design can help you build a better business. Have a great week and I will see you for our next design dialogue.